Hi, it's Michael Senoff with Michael Senoff's HardToFindSeminars.com. The title of this interview is called Why Some People Are Always Happy and How You Can Be One of Them. Marcy Shimoff was not born happy. In fact, the author of the book, Happy for No Reason, says she was a fussy baby and an unhappy child. Her father, however, was exactly the opposite. He was always happy. Marcy asked her father why he was always happy, and he couldn't explain why. Fortunately, Marcy was persistent in her search for an answer. Now she knows why some people are happy and many are not. And in this interview, Marcy Shimoff reveals the science behind why why you and many other people are so unhappy in the surprisingly easy thing you can do about it. So here's what you're going to learn in this interview. You'll learn why happiness is available to everyone, including you. What happy people do that you don't. How you can become happy now and stay happy forever. Surprising things which affect your level of happiness. Powerful tools you can use to change your mood for good. Miraculous stories of former unhappy people. What affects your happiness more? than money or love. You don't have to live a life of unhappiness. Marcy Shimoff wrote her book, Happy for No Reason, to give you the tools you need to get happy and stay that way. Don't spend another day in misery. Spend the next 27 minutes listening to this interview and become happier than ever starting today. Now let's get going. Hi, this is Chris Costello, and I've teamed up with Michael Senoff to bring you the world's best health-related interviews. So if you know anyone struggling with their weight, with cancer, diabetes, ADHD, autism, heart disease, or other health issues, send them over to Michael Senoff's HardToFindSeminars.com. I did not win the happiness jackpot at birth. I came out of the womb with existential angst. I just had unhappy written all over my forehead. And I was unhappy as a kid for no particular reason. But I was very lucky. And I was lucky because I had a father who was the happiest person that I've ever met in my life. He lived until he was 91, and every morning of his life he woke up with a smile on his face. And I remember one day, I was about 19, and he and I were driving down the road. I looked at him and I said, so, Dad, tell me, what's your best advice for life? He looked at me. And he said four words. He said, honey, just be happy. Well, I threw my arms up into the air in frustration. I said, ah, Dad, that's easy for you to say. You were just born that way. But I wasn't. What do I do? He looked at me and he said four more words. He said, honey, I don't know. And it was at that point that I decided to find out the answer to that question. He couldn't answer it. He just was naturally happy. But I wanted to know what could I do to be happy, what could you do, what could anyone do to be happy, and that's really what I've devoted the last 30 years of my life to finding out the answer to, and there's great news, Chris, and that is that science actually is finding out what it takes for all of us to be happy. There are answers to that question, and I've put all those answers in happy for no reason. You know, here's what I found, Chris. Happiness is the one thing that people want more than anything. It's really our purpose in life is to find happiness, and yet it's evading everybody. Unhappiness is an epidemic in our culture. One out of five women in America is on antidepressants, which is staggering. So we have this huge problem out there. Hotline suicide rates have gone up 70% since the economic meltdown. We've got people who are going into a panic. They're feeling stressed. They're really feeling unhappy. And what I write about and talk about is how to create an inner state of peace and well-being that doesn't depend on your circumstances, and we know scientifically how to do that. So that's 
to me just great news. Now, one thing that you did is you interviewed a special group of people that you call the Happy 100. And these people, they lead their lives differently than unhappy people. What do these people do? Well, I found that the only difference between these people who have unconditional happiness you know, and as you say, I interviewed a hundred of them, so I call them my happy hundred. The only difference between them and everybody else is that they have different habits. And I distilled them down to 21 main habits that anyone can practice in life to raise what science calls your happiness at that point. And it's as simple as that. The habits, you don't have to do all 21 of them. I found that people just start doing a few and they soon find that their lives are significantly different because their happiness level is raised. So it's really a matter of habits. Let me just explain for a moment, because I think it's a really important point, this idea of the happiness set point. We each have a happiness set point that no matter what happens to us, whether good or bad, we will tend to hover around unless we do something to change our habits. And here are a couple examples of that. People win the lottery. Now, I know a lot of people think, oh, if I just won the lottery, that's it. That's my ticket to happiness. I would be happy. Well, what research has found is that within a year, people who've won the lottery have returned to their original happiness level. Shockingly, the same is true of people who are paraplegic. Within a year of becoming paraplegic, they've also returned to their original happiness level. So it's not what is happening to us that determines our happiness. It's the set point. And the set point is 50% genetic. You're just born with that part. But the other 50% are these habits. I was born with that 50% genetic predisposition to unhappiness. When you're around people who are happy, it will increase your happiness level. So I would have been worse off if I hadn't been around him. So that definitely helped. Happiness, people think, oh, you're just lucky. Happiness is a matter of luck. It's not. It's a skill that can be developed just like learning how to play the piano is a skill. You know, if you want to be a good piano player, you study the habits of good piano players and you practice those. Same with happiness. You practice the habits of happy people. And did all of these people have these 21 habits? They had most of them, you know. I can't say that all of them had all of the habits, but they had most of them. And so, you know, you don't have to have them all. What I tell people to do, and I have a questionnaire in Happy for No Reason, we cover seven main areas. And I ask people to find out where their weaker area is and start there with your weaker area. And let me just go over the seven main areas that are involved in raising your happiness at that point. The first one has to do with taking responsibility for your happiness, taking responsibility for your life, and not being a victim in life. Unless you take responsibility for your happiness, nothing is going to change. The next four steps have to do with mind, the heart, the body, and the soul, the four main areas of our life. So the mind has to do with not believing everything you think. We can talk further about that, but I just want to give a quick overview. The heart has to do with letting love lead. Do you have a lot of love or gratitude or care or loving kindness in your life? The third area has to do with your body, making the cells in your body happy. The fourth area has to do with your soul. Do you feel plugged into spirit? Do you feel plugged into the greater energy of the universe? Then there's your purpose in life. Are you living a life of passion, a life of purpose? Are you really living your dreams and contributing your gift to the planet? And then the last area has to do with your relationships and who you're surrounding yourself with. We look at each of your habits in these seven areas, and I ask you to start with practicing the habits in the area that are weakest for you. In each of these seven areas, there are three specific habits, and that's how we get to the 21 habits. 
Each area has three habits. For example, the area of the mind. We have an overarching principle in that area that's called don't believe everything you think. But the habits very specifically are to question your thoughts. And I give you a technique that's a very effective technique for helping you question your thoughts. Another of the habits is to go beyond your thoughts and let go. And I give you another technique there to help you with that. It's called the Sedona Method. And then the third area has to do with inclining your mind towards joy and registering the positive things that happen in life. And again, I give you a technique to help you with that. So that's just an example of the habits as they relate to the area of the mind. And, you know, the mind is a really key part to raising your happiness level. It's not the only part. Some books talk about it as being the only thing. It's not the only thing, but it is a key thing because we have so many thoughts a day. We have about 60,000 thoughts a day. And for the average person, 80% of those thoughts are negative. I call it the Velcro Teflon syndrome. We tend to Velcro the negative things to us. They stick more to us, whereas the positives slide off of us like Teflon. Now, I'll give you an example here, Chris. If you get 10 compliments in a day and one criticism, what do you tend to remember at the end of the day? The criticism, of course. Of course. So what I found is that my happy people do the opposite. They tend to remember the compliments more. They register them more. And they let the criticisms slide off of them like Teflon. I teach ways in there to do that more easily, to create new patterns of responding in your thoughts. I know that people want the knowledge, and that's why I have a lot of the research mentioned in there, but they also want the inspiration, which is why I have a lot of very inspiring stories about people who have really raised their happiness level. And most important of all, they want the tools or the techniques. What do I do differently tomorrow so I can be happier? When you went to the 100 happy people that you interviewed, many of them had these qualities of being happy for no reason, and you kept getting the same answers. Well, some of the qualities were a sense of gratitude, a feeling of vitality. They had energy. They were alive. They had a sparkle in their eyes. They generally had healthy, happy relationships. They forgave people easily. They were in the flow. They felt just like they had a flow and they got a lot of what they considered to be great synchronicities happening in their lives. And they were very present in the moment. So they weren't living in the past or in the future. You know, one of the things I found amongst them is that they all tended to believe that the universe, this is one of their guiding principles, that the universe was out to support them. My mentor, Jack Canfield, he likes to use the expression an inverse paranoid. And I love that expression. It means that instead of thinking that the universe is out to get you, you think that the universe is out to support you. I love the phrase by Einstein. He said the most important question you can ask yourself is, is this a friendly universe? Is it out to support you? And my happy hundred all answered with a resounding yes to that question. And what that means practically is that if something's happening in your life, it isn't going the way you thought it should be going or the way you want it to be going. If, quote, something bad is happening, instead of thinking that the world is out to get you, take the approach that the world is out to support you and ask yourself this question. If this were happening for a higher purpose, what would that purpose be? You're just looking for what's the lesson or the gift in the situation for you. If this were happening for a higher purpose, what would that purpose be? For more interviews on health, mind, body, and spirit, go to Michael Senoff's hardtofindseminars.com.
sounds like it's a very high level of acceptance rather than a judgment as to your circumstances. It's a level of acceptance that's not trying to fight what's actually happening. Now, you're not just letting life run over you. You're being proactive in responding and choosing a positive response to whatever is happening to you. And I found, so interestingly, uh, I've traveled all over teaching seminars, and whenever I ask an audience, how many of you have had a crisis or a challenge in your life? Everyone, of course, raises their hand. And then I ask them, for how many of you was that the most important thing that transformed your life? And they all raise their hand. So we know that often it's our challenges that are our greatest blessings. Rather than waiting for a year after the challenge happens to find out what the blessing is in it, look for the blessing now. Have an understanding that happiness is not actually dependent upon our outside circumstances like money. We think that if we get enough money, then we'll feel safe and happy. The research shows that once you're over the poverty line, no amount of money will make you happier. In fact, 40% of the Forbes wealthiest people are more depressed than the average American. You know, we all have heard the saying that money doesn't buy happiness, but most of us live as though it does. So it's kind of a myth that we buy into. It is. It's what I call the myth of more, which says the more I have, the happier I'll be. And it's just not true. And, you know, there's a sort of cousin myth to that first one, and it's called the myth of I'll be happy when. I'll be happy when... I get a better job, or I'll be happy when I get a better husband, or I'll be happy when I lose 20 pounds. It's not true. We've got to learn to raise our inner happiness at that point first, and then it turns out that those other outside things come more easily. So just knowing that, I have found, really helps people move beyond hanging on to thinking that they need to have a certain outcome in order to be okay or happy in life. But there's a second way that I approach dealing with fear and anxiety, and that is I use all of these tools that I talk about in Happy for No Reason, and they really work. One of them specifically for fear and anxiety is called the emotional freedom technique. It's also referred to as EFT, and it's a simple technique of tapping on various acupuncture meridians while you're thinking certain thoughts. And in a very short period of time, it helps release the old energetic pattern of fear and worry and helps establish new neural pathways. And I can't teach that during this interview, but I've got that in Happy for No Reason. And there are a number of tools and techniques like that that I think are incredibly helpful that come from the field of energy psychology or some come from the field of positive psychology and that have really been shown to have great results. Here's the thing. Some of these things sound so simplistic But I can tell you story after story after story about people for whom they've worked. And this is a story of a woman I interviewed named CJ. And CJ had been very depressed. She had had lupus for 15 years, which is an autoimmune disorder, has a lot of symptoms. She was in fairly considerable discomfort and had to get around often in a wheelchair. She was pretty miserable. She heard about a simple practice or exercise of wishing other people happiness. And at first she thought, This isn't going to work for me. I can't possibly wish happiness and health to other people because I'm pretty miserable myself. But she figured she'd give it a try because she had nothing to lose. And so this is what she did. Every day, she would silently send a wish of health and happiness to everybody she'd see. She would say to herself over and over again when she'd come across people from her heart, she would send them the wish that went, may you be safe, may you be happy, may you be healthy, may you live with ease, may you be safe. 
pass along the street. She did this every day for a year. Now, I can't tell you what happened to the people that she sent the wish to, but here's what happened to her. Her happiness level skyrocketed. She's out of the wheelchair. She's exercising three times a week, and she's completely symptom-free. Her doctors tell her that it's a medical miracle, but the only thing that she did differently during that year was to do this simple practice of wishing other people health and happiness. It was something she learned. It's actually based on something called a metta meditation practice, which is a Buddhist practice. But her story, actually, and that practice that she did is in Happy for No Reason. And it's one of these 21 habits. Because what happens is, what she was doing is she was putting herself in the energetic vibration of the happiness and health that she wished for herself by wishing it to other people. And you also have an amazing story about kindness in Happy for No Reason. You mentioned a gal named Happy Oasis. She has a great story. She was 19 years old, and this was in the 80s. She was traveling the world doing some anthropological studies, and she found herself in Bangladesh during the time of the great famine of Bangladesh, and there were also horrible monsoons. And she tells the story of how she was on a bus driving out to the countryside in the middle of one of these monsoons, the road was starting to get washed off and the bus had to drive up to some higher dry ground where it parked and she saw all around her hundreds of people lying on the ground. And at first she thought they were just sleeping, but she realized that actually it was people who were dying. And she was the only Westerner there. Everybody who was on the bus got off the bus to go help people and she was so horrified by the scene that she just didn't budge. First, she thought, well, she had money on her and she would go buy some food, but then she realized there was no food to be found. Then she thought, well, the Red Cross is going to show up soon. And after about 45 minutes, she realized there was no Red Cross showing up. And at about that point, a very, very thin man knocked on her window, and he had a big smile on his face. And she got really angry. She said, how could you possibly smile at a time like this? He looked at her, and in his perfect British accent, he said, Madame, sometimes a smile is all that I have to give. And he motioned for her to get off the bus and to join with him. And the entire rest of the day, he and she went around to people there as they were dying and would put their hand on their shoulder or sing them a song or just smile at them. And she learned that in any circumstance, you have something to give. You at least have a smile to give. And it can really make a difference in someone's life. The beauty of that story is just how the humanity of knowing that wherever we are, we can serve, we can give. And giving service is one of the 21 habits of being happy. Albert Schweitzer has a great quote. He says, I don't know who amongst you will be happy, but I do know that the only ones who will be happy are those who have thought and found how to serve. And that's what Happy Oasis has spent the rest of her life doing is serving in any way she can, whether it be by just a smile or in myriad other ways. And, you know, the research shows that just smiling will change your mood. It helps create more endorphins and more of the biochemistry of happiness. So our posture, you know, there are so many ways in which we can affect our happiness on a moment-to-moment basis through our kindness to others, but also through what we're doing to our own bodies. I have a whole chapter in Happy for No Reason on making the cells of your body happy because that is really key. If you don't have enough endorphins, serotonin, oxytocin, these neurotransmitters of happiness, you're going to be affected. And so I suggest that people take an assessment to see whether they have 
these chemicals in enough proportion. And if not, then I guide you to where to supplement things in as much a natural way as you can. I am very into amino acids and vitamins and proper food, proper amount of sleep, the right exercise. So every angle that you can go at for happiness is how you want to do it. We live in a society where people brag about not getting enough sleep. You know, somebody will come into the office and say, hey, I only got five hours last night, and the next person tries to up them and say, well, I only got four, as though it's a good thing. Well, it's not. Shocking studies showed that the quality and amount of sleep that you got last night has a greater impact on your happiness level than your income level or your marital status. Most people need seven to eight hours of sleep, but not only that, it's the quality of sleep that you get. And there are two things I'm going to say about the quality that you get. Number one, make sure that you are doing something or reading something or watching something positive before you go to sleep rather than the news. You watch the news before you go to sleep, it's mostly negative, and it's going to color the quality of your dreaming and sleeping. So if you have to watch the news, watch the 6 o'clock news or the noon news, but not the 10 or 11 o'clock news. Secondly, our bodies have circadian cycles, and you want to sleep earlier in the night. Every hour of sleep you get before midnight is worth twice as much as what you get after midnight. So the wisdom is to go to bed before 10 at night. And you'll get a very deep quality of sleep. In Western and Eastern Ayurvedic medicine, they say that at 10 o'clock at night, you move into a new cycle called your Pitta cycle, which is governed by a lot of activity. And a lot of people probably listening have had the experience of getting tired around 9 or 9.30. But if you power through and you pass that 10 o'clock mark, you get your second win. You're listening to an interview on Michael Senoff's HardToFindSeminars.com. Well, you don't want to get your second win. You want to go to sleep before 10 or right around 10 so that you get a deeper quality of sleep and you wake up the next morning refreshed. As a matter of fact, if people come to me feeling a little depressed, the first thing I tell them to do is go to sleep three nights in a row at 9.30 and tell me on the fourth morning that you don't feel better. It doesn't matter as much what time you get up. Ideally, you want to get up before 6 o'clock because once you hit the 6 o'clock hour in Ayurvedic medicine, you hit the kapha cycle, which is a little bit more dullness and lethargy to it. So if you get up right before then, you'll have more energy of vitality that will last with you through the day. You know, I heard recently a wonderful story of people when they are depressed in indigenous cultures. If somebody becomes a little unhappy, the people in the community will send them to the local medicine man or medicine woman, also referred to as the shaman. And the shaman will ask them four questions to determine what's causing their unhappiness. And I think these four questions are very telling. The first question is, when did you stop singing? The second question is, when did you stop moving your body or dancing? The third question, when did you stop telling stories or sharing with other people? And the fourth question is, when did you stop taking time for silence? And the reason the shaman asked those four questions is that he or she knew that if somebody was unhappy, it was because they were missing one or more of those four things in their life. So I suggest that you put each of these four into your everyday life, and that is singing. And I really mean singing in the shower, singing in the car, some time in your day when you're singing. There are great physiological advantages to singing, including the way you breathe, getting more breath into your system. The second one, moving. There's so much research out there about the value of exercise and moving your body, and whether it's turning on the music and dancing or taking a walk in nature or playing basketball. It doesn't matter, but getting the energy in your body moving. The third thing is telling your story.
story or sharing with others, connecting with others. We know that connecting with others, bonding, helps create more oxytocin, which is one of the happiness biochemicals. And then the fourth thing is taking time every day for silence, whether it be meditation or prayer or, you know, walks in nature. We need silence in our lives. Our attention hasn't been there. I think our attention has been on chasing after what we thought was going to make us happy. And what's happening is a lot of people are coming up empty-handed with that chase. We all know people who have everything in life that they ever wanted, and still there's some emptiness. What's so great about what's happening in the world right now is I think we have an alarm. It's an alarm. It's a wake-up call for us to look more deeply at what will bring us a lasting state of meaning, of fulfillment, of happiness. What you appreciate, appreciates. And what I mean by that is what you put your attention on is what you'll get more of in life. It's basically the law of attraction. Many people are familiar with the film and the book, The Secret. I was a part of that. And it's based on this idea of the law of attraction that what you put your attention on is what you will attract more of. So if you want more of anything, feel gratitude for the amount of it that you have now. Research shows how gratitude affects our happiness, that if you just keep a little gratitude journal and write down four or five things a day that you're grateful for, within a month, your happiness level is raised. So that's another guiding principle of happy people. And a third guiding principle is that what expands you makes you happier. There are two main energies in life. They are the energy of expansion and the energy of contraction. And we all know what expansion and contraction feel like. If you curl up into a little ball and you try to say, I feel happy, it's hard to feel happy because you're contracted. You're curled up into a little ball. If you expand your arms way out to the side, and you take in a deep breath and you try to say, I feel depressed, you won't feel depressed because your energy is expanded. And what this shows us, what this means is that when we expand, whenever we move towards this energy of expansion, we will be moving towards the energy of greater happiness. I suggest that people make two lists. One list has all the things on it that make you feel contracted in your life and include people's names that make you just feel shut down or contracted or unhappy. And then make a list of the people and the things in life that make you feel more expanded. And just move. 5% this week, do more of the things from the expansion list. Take baby steps and you will find yourself feeling happier in your life. So Dr. Masuro Emoto is a scientist from Japan who took water and he would divide water from the same source into two separate bottles. And he would have a group of people sending one bottle of water positive messages. They would send to the water messages like, we love you, you're fabulous, you're wonderful. He would send the other bottle of water negative messages. We hate you, you're bad, we think you're terrible. And then he would take that water, freeze it, and analyze the water crystals from each of the batches under the microscope. And the water that was sent the negative messages looked ugly, it looked deformed, it just didn't look good. The water that was sent the positive messages formed these absolutely beautiful, symmetrical crystals, and it's just shocking to see it. You know what? I think there is a happiness revolution going on in the world. Amidst all that's happening, what I'm finding is, and Happy for No Reason is now out in 33 languages, so I'm getting letters from people all over the world who are saying, you know, I'm doing the things that we're talking about here, and my life is turning around. And when people ask me if this is selfish, I tell them it's the least selfish thing that you can possibly do because when you change your own happiness level, you're changing the happiness level. You're affecting the people all around you. 
So I just invite everyone to join the happiness revolution. They can go to my website, which is happyfornoreason.com, and there are a number of free tools on there that you can use, and there's a questionnaire to see where you are on the Happy For No Reason scale. So please join the happiness revolution. That's the end of our interview, and I hope you've enjoyed it. For more great health-related interviews, go to Michael Senoff's hardtofindseminars.com. That's the end of our interview with Marcy Shemoff. I hope it's been helpful. And for more wonderful interviews on health, fitness, and being happy, go to Michael Senoff's hardtofindseminars.com.